2: Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and analyst at MLB.com. I'm usually joined by MLB.com National Content Editor Matt Myers, but he's off on a well-deserved vacation. So we're going to welcome in our friend David Adler, who is also a writer and analyst. We're going to get to a couple of things today. We obviously have to start with what Kyle Schwarber is up to. We are going to check in on Kyle Tucker, who is kind of like an underrated star for Houston. I have something interesting to point out that I don't think people have noticed about Fernando Tatis Jr. I have an idea for the All-Star game. And David and I are each going to do our same shtick, where we look at guys you should know a little bit more about and have rants and raves at the end of the show. David, first of all, hello. I have a question for you. So we're going to talk about like the whole Kyle Schwarber experience in a second. Did you know that in June, despite how amazingly good he's been, He's only got the fifth best OPS in baseball, minimum 30 plate appearances. Can you believe there have been four guys who have hit better than Kyle Schwarber this past month?
0: Uh, I did not know that, Mike. And first of all, thanks for having me on here. Uh, I'm thrilled to be filling in for Matt Myers. And all I can do is hope that I live up to how great he usually is on this podcast. Um, I mean, yeah, there are some great hitters in, in Major League Baseball today, despite how you know, offense, you know, being down and all, but. The stars are the stars, and so I can believe it, and if you say so, I'm sure it's true.
2: I'm going to tell you the the four names who hit better than Schwarber, and I think the three won't be shocking, like Shohei Otani, unsurprisingly, has been great. Vlad Guerrero Jr. has been great. Nelson Cruz, uh, you know, I know the twins are terrible, but he's been mashing the ball. The fourth name, I think this one's going to blow your minds, right? So in June, Schwarber had an OPS of 1122, you know, 1,122. There is one guy who had an OPS of 1172, and you know who it is? Baltimore Orioles superstar Cedric Mullins out hit Kyle Schwarber. So Schwarber was not the best hitting outfielder uh, in the DC metro area, which I don't know that's wild to me, but let's talk about Schwarber. If you haven't been paying attention and to be honest, you know, it's fair if you weren't because the Nationals through June 11th were the fourth worst team in the National League, 25 and 34. And Schwarber wasn't having a good season. He was hitting 218 and 312 on base, 404 slugging. He was like a below average hitter. Uh, as recently as three weeks ago. And in his last 19 games, he has 16 home runs. He has out homered the White Sox and the Pirates and the Cardinals and the Diamondbacks. And, you know, the Diamondbacks continue to be historically terrible, which we'll have to get back to. And I think people look at it and say, well, uh, this correlates perfectly to when he moved into the leadoff spot on June 12th, which is pretty close, but he'd also let off a couple of days before and did nothing it, it seems to me like when he signed um he worked a lot with nationals hitting coach kevin long to change his stance and get a little lower and hit the ball in the air and then everything got screwed up when he and a bunch of other nationals had the starts of their seasons interrupted um by a big covet issue because like if you look at high fastballs and high pitches in the zone he only had two extra base hits in the upper third of the zone or above before this streak started and he's got six cents and here's here's my question um david like He's been great. I don't expect him to continue to be this great because he's not, you know, literally, I was going to say literally Babe Ruth, but now I'm going to say literally Shohei Otani. Um, Has this, the Nationals are two games out now in the East. Has this meaningfully changed your opinion of how good this team is and like what their, what their odds are going forward?
0: Uh, I'm not sure how much it's changed my opinion of the team. Uh, I do like, like watching Schwarber hit a lot these days. He looks like so free and easy up there. Uh, like you were talking about the stance changes and stuff. And he, what's I think interesting is that he, you know, he's not really like super low in that stance. Like he was at the beginning of the season. Like he, he's kind of like stood back up a little bit and he, he doesn't look so like rigid and, and like stiff up there. He's like rocking back and forth on his swings. He's a lot more fun to watch. I mean, you know, if he keeps it up, it would like, of course change my opinion of the team. But I mean, he's, I, I he's, you know, we kind of knew that like the type of slugger that Kyle Schwarber is. He is really, really hot right now. And I also do kind of like when a power hitter hits leadoff and just starts hitting a bunch of home runs out of the leadoff spot. Uh, so, I mean, we'll see. We'll see how the Nats are as, as a team,
2: though. Yeah, he hit 12 homers uh, over a span of 10 games, which is tied for the most ever <laughs> uh, with 1995 Albert Bell, which is pretty good. But I-, I found something surprising. Like, So I expected to look up the Nationals over the last couple of weeks and find out that Kyle Schwarber had hit like 93% of their home runs because it sort of feels that way. Uh, But I I was actually a little surprised because like I'd written this team off um, pretty much all season. I've said on the show before that I'd picked them fourth and I sort of wish I'd picked them last just because I was so out on them. But what I did was I looked at every... Other national who was not Kyle Schwarber, right? Like all the other guys on the team, and through June eleventh, which is you know kind of when this Schwarber streak started, they were a below average hitting team. You know they had a the other guys all had a ninety four weighted runs created plus, or one hundred is average. And since then, the other guys, all the not Schwarber guys, have had a one one twenty six. Um, the pitching was not great. Through June eleventh, they had a four fifteen ERA, and since then they have a three twenty two. Like Brad Hand looks good again. Uh, Max Scherzer looks like Max Scherzer again. I think at the least, this probably puts an end to all of the fun. Like, will they trade Max Scherzer <laughs> games? Because, because I don't think they will. Um, do you think Nationals fans will be upset? I mean, they will be, right? But how upset should they be by this following fact? They had two percent playoff odds on June eleventh per Fangraphs. That is up to thirteen percent today. And that's because, you know, the projections don't obviously expect Schwarber to do this. And, you know, they're behind the Mets and the Mets have better projections. Like I look at the East and, you know, the National, uh, the Marlins aren't very good. The Phillies are a wreck. The Braves look like they're a wreck. The Mets have been like pretty good despite having half their team hurt at all times. I, like is 13% too low? Because I think to me, there's no wild card path here, like at all. Like you win the division or you go home.
0: Right. I, I mean, that seems like it must be why it's so low, because they, you know, just have the Mets at the top of the division and then, you know, just the NL West just being, you know, too good for the wild card. But like, I, I mean, like, I, yeah, if I were a Nats fan, I would, I would absolutely be upset. The playoff odds are just like a number one source of frustration for every team's fan base that has low playoff odds all the time. <laughs> so I totally get that.
2: I think that's true of all odds. I have. Uh, I was watching the Cubs Brewers game yesterday, where the Cubs went up seven nothing in the, the first inning, and then you know gave up like fourteen runs or whatever it was. Yeah, that was and wild. Uh, it, I I really appreciated Boog uh, Shambi on the Cubs broadcast who was talking about like how the win probability was like I don't know ninety seven percent that the Cubs would win the game. And he's like, that doesn't mean that it's broken. It means that 3% of the time something weird happens. And you guys all saw something weird. Like it happens. That doesn't break it. Um, That proves it. All right, we're going to take a
3: quick break and we will come back and look at our three better minimum. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like I lost my mojo or we avoid it altogether with excuses like I had a long day at work or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com slash MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark
2: Dimensions podcast. Mike Petriello joined by David Adler this week. If you've been listening to this show for a while, I feel like I've been talking about the Astros kind of a lot and how obviously everybody dislikes this team for very clear and understandable reasons, but that makes it a little too easy to look past. Um, how good they are. And they are really good. Like they are in first place. They are at the moment 48 and 33. And what I have been kind of focusing on is how underrated um, their pitching has been, not just Granky and the colors, but like Christian Javier is good and Luis Garcia and Jose Urquidy and Fran Valdez And when we've talked about the offense, you know, we've talked about Altuve and Correa bouncing back and Yuli Gurriel having like a ridiculously good season that nobody seems to want to pay attention to. And Jordan Alvarez, But I actually, like. this was entirely David's idea, and I like this a lot. There's like an underrated star in their outfield. Like Kyle Tucker is probably not going to be an all-star because there's so many other guys on this team uh, who might be an all-star. But I remember, you know, when the offseason started, I was like, wow, the Astros have one outfielder right now. Like it's literally Kyle Tucker and nobody else I trust. And then they signed Michael Brantley and they still have some center field problems. But David, you, you really appreciate the whole Kyle Tucker experience. Like what is it about him that is standing out to you right now?
0: Yeah. I mean, I've been kind of paying attention to him for a while because, you know, for since like the beginning of the season, he's just been like at the top of all of these stat cast leaderboards. And like, it's weird because, you know, he's like in general, like maybe like the, seventh most talked about hitter on the Astros. <laughs> like that because of Altuve and Correa and Bregman and Gurriel and Brantley. And uh, so like, wh- why, who's Kyle Tucker? But like, you know, if you look at all of like his expected metrics by how well he's hitting the ball, he's just like at the top of the league in all of them. So it's like, it's really Im- impressive to see like, you know, his He's he's been really underperforming his his expected stats probably due to a lot of bad luck some some shift stuff some hitting too many balls to center field but like you know his expected batting average right now three twenty two his expected slugging five ninety two his expected weighted on base kind of you know the overall offensive metric four oh eight he's just top ten in uh, all of baseball in all of those categories you know like he's he really is ripping the ball he's a lot a lot of fun you know, to look at from just the stack cast perspective.
2: Yeah, what I like about him too, is if you look at some of these underlying hitting metrics, so his hard hit rate has gone up. He is in the top 10% in baseball and hitting the ball hard, but at the same time, his strikeout rate has dropped by a lot. Like two years ago, it was twenty-eight percent. Last year, twenty percent. Now it's fifteen percent. And I, I'm, I'm not naive here. I totally understand the first thing people will say when you talk about an Astro who's not striking out as much. <laughs> like, I get it, uh, but I don't think that's what this is. Like, he is a well-regarded prospect, and you know, the Astros as a team, even now, they have one of the, they have the lowest strikeout rate in baseball. And if you look at like ERA-adjusted strikeout rate, like comparing them not to all-time teams because of course like I don't know the 1932 Red Sox or whatever struck out less Uh, but comparing them to the strikeout rate for the league average they are at or near the top of like best era adjusted strikeout rate and I don't know I feel like obviously people don't want to see this team win but I do want to see Dusty Baker win because like everybody loves Dusty Baker and I do you do you see them is there a center fielder they can get or do you like Miles Straw like where are we on the outfield entirely here
0: I mean like I like Miles Straw <laughs> I like to watch him uh run and it's pretty cool that he's like one of the fastest players in the league I don't know if uh he's the center fielder that that takes you to the World Series but I mean so uh, it would be if, if to get Dusty you know the, the the championship which I also as you said everyone loves Dusty including me love his stories everything that he says is, you know, amazing that comes out of his mouth. Uh, Yeah. 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 Maybe you should, maybe you should go out and try to, to get that, that difference making center fielder to, to replace Springer.
2: The other thing about Tucker that I find really interesting is there's this metric that I don't look at that much, but it's, it's out there and it's called the SDI, which is the saber defensive index. And basically what they do is they take all sorts of different defensive metrics and smash them together, right? So like defensive runs saved and outs above average and a, a couple other lesser known ones. And when when they did that, um, Kyle Tucker, like the first release of this came out last week, Kyle Tucker was the number one fielder in baseball. I don't actually buy that. Like Andrelton Simmons still exists, you know, and like Byron Buxton, I guess he's been hurt. But um, I also think he's, he's an underrated outfielder. Like to come to the top of that list is really impressive. But I think you are right in that, you look at everybody else on this team and there's 10 other guys i will think about before i think about kyle tucker and then if he is your seventh best hitter that probably tells you a lot about how good uh your team is doing so let's, um, let's move on to our second topic here fernando tatis jr obviously if you think about fernando tatis jr the first thing you think about is him absolutely crushing baseballs you know we were all worried that his shoulder injury would sort of torpedo his season uh it hasn't happened he's got 26 homers right now uh, he's got a 205 OPS plus. Yes, that means he's twice as good as the league average hitter. But what I find really interesting about him is uh, his defense, because this comes up a lot, right? When everybody talks about who's the MVP in the National League going to be this year. And of course, he comes up. And I've heard a lot of people say, well, he's got the most errors in baseball. He's an absolutely terrible shortstop. And he's Defensive career trajectory has been really weird. Like in 2019, when he came up, he had negative 16 outs above average. That was the worst in baseball. And then last year, a shortened season, sure, he was plus nine, which was the best in baseball. And I think people were like, well, shortened season, that means the metrics are unreliable. And like, sure, you know, you prefer to have more than a half a season, but it was also pretty clear what was happening. Like in 2019, when he was terrible, he was just making throws he probably should have just been holding on to. And it wasn't that he didn't have the range or the quickness or the skill to get the ball. he just needed to not make like the easy errors. And he cleaned that up so well last year. Like the range was there, the silly errors, the bad throws, they went away. And then he started off this year uh, in April, minus five, which was terrible. And people were like, well, we got the other Tatis back. Uh, but then may minus one and June plus four. And I know like, do we want to split defensive metrics into months? Ideally not, but I do think this tells the story here because we knew it wasn't about skills. So like you can't like whitewash away the fact that he did make these bad plays in April, but as far as him going forward, I'm, I'm not worried about his defense. Like we've, he's got the skills. Um, and the fact that it's already showing up in the numbers, like I, I noticed this the other day and I was really surprised to see he was like top five, um, in June, in in outs above average. Uh, David, are you are you in agreement here? Like, I know he's been up and down, and I know we don't like the split up fielding metrics like this, but I also think this all matches the smell test pretty well.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I know you've been you know, tracking the Tatis Jr. you know fielding arc of his career from the beginning, but like, yeah, I think it's more important that he clearly has you know the amazing range and you know the amazing arm and all these defensive tools, and you know it's not they're not just tools. You know, you saw how amazing. His defense was last year. I would rather I would rather him have that you know high end ability with the range and the arm, and then be able to clean up the errors, which I think is something you know he's already shown that he can do because he did it last year, and now he's doing it again. So i I'm, I believe in Tatis for sure.
2: Have you noticed the weird trajectory of the Padres' uh, run prevention? <laughs> so you'd think like having your shortstop play better would help you keep runs off the board. Uh, the Padres' uh, pitching staff. So I, I get. I'm about to say ERA, which kind of is messed up with errors, but let's go with it because it's what I have. Uh, in April, they had a 287 ERA. In May, they had a 269. And in June, they have a 423 ERA, <laughs> which is not what I would have expected. Um, I still think they are going to win the wild card because Tatis is crushing the ball. And as it stands right now, they have 49 wins. The Dodgers have 49 wins. The Giants have 50 wins. That's going to be a fun one. All right. Our third topic. Let's talk about the all-star game selection process for a second. Here's where this started for me. I read an article like a week ago, I think, um, by a Baltimore beat writer who argued that it would be a huge snub and a miscarriage of justice if Trey Mancini doesn't make the All Star game. If you're not familiar with Trey Mancini's story, uh, you know obviously he suffered about with cancer last year, not just career threatening but life threatening. He beat it, he came back, and he's playing really well. Like he's having a good season, and he's going to be in the Home Run Derby, and that's like awesome. That's going to be such a cool moment. I'm excited to be there for him to be in the All Star and Home Run Derby. And uh, and the 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 author argued that he must be in the All Star game because he's the best story of the year. Which is like, it's totally fair. But then I thought through this and I'm thinking to myself, well, I don't I don't see the path here, right? Because uh, the way this works, and I, I think people forget this, is that the managers don't pick any of the backups, right? Uh, there's 32 roster spots for each league, 20 position players, 12 pitchers. You know, the fans pick the starters. Uh, the players get their own ballots. So the, the player selections choose the backups, right? Uh, and also some of the pitchers. And then the final players, uh, eight for the National League and six for the American League, are chosen by the commissioner's office. And a lot of that is just ensuring there's one guy per each team. You know, like some Diamondback is going to have to be there. Some Rocky is going to have to be there. Managers have no say. And if you were to look at the um, American League first baseman, it's deep, right? Like flatty's obviously, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going to start deservedly. Matt Olson's having a great year. Yuli Gurriel's having a great year. Jared Walsh is having a great year. Mancini's having a pretty good year, but he's you know hitting like Jonathan Scope, and so it's like, what do we want the All Star Game to be like? If we if we put Mancini into the game because he's got a great story, that's super cool, uh, but also like Jared Walsh is having a breakout year that it might cost him money if he's not in the All Star Game. So here's here's my idea, right? We should have um, one like. Extra spot, like a special spot, like for recognition. I don't know what to call it, but like a guy who doesn't necessarily make the roster because of the jigsaw puzzle of roster construction, but it's just good for baseball for him to be there. You know, so maybe in the National League, that's, I don't know, Albert Poules or Adam Wainwright or, or somebody along those lines, right? And in the American League, Mancini would be perfect. And then you don't screw over Jared Walsh and you get like, you know, it's the All-Star game. Who cares about the rules, the roster size, bring 75 guys. I don't care. Um, but I would like to see Mancini in the game without costing like a uh, Jared Walsh, uh, his recognition. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I'm actually, uh, I'm on board with that because, you know, I, I think like something that's important to me as just a fan of baseball is like guys who, who you're going to look back on this season and remember them for whatever reason, like having some recognition in some way. So like, we're gonna think back and we're we're gonna look at Trey Mancini's 2021 season. Where we're like, you know, this guy, you know, he, he beat cancer. He came back and he mashed a bunch of home runs, and it was like one of the most important things that happened in baseball this year. So yeah, like sure, get him into the All Star game, get him the the All Star recognition. But like yeah, you also want the the players who are hitting at the the top All Star level to be in the All Star game. It's it's weird because of you know like since there is the fan vote, it's all you know it already. It's yeah, it's like what do you want the All Star Game to be? Because you know, the players picking some of it is like more about you know who the players respect as players, and then the fans can vote for whoever they want. Like you know, Mike Trout's leading the outfield race in the AL right now, even though Mike Trout has been hurt for months and won't be able to play in the All Star Game. So you know, Mike Trout being in the All Star Game is similar like to Trey Mancini being in the All Star Game. Just you know, the player that you love, you know, getting into the All Star Game. So I, I I would support your idea.
2: I think I think you said it uh, properly there, right? It's just like, what do you want the All Star Game to be? Uh, and it, you know, th- that's not the same thing for everybody. Some people look at it as just like who had the best first half stats, and that's fine. And some people look at it as who are the biggest stars in baseball. Because you could argue that Mookie Betts has not necessarily had like the best first half, but you also want Mookie Betts in the All Star Game. There's not like one right answer there. And I want Trey Mancini on the All Star Game because he's like an incredible story, and just like the idea of him coming up to hit and all of Coors Field, like, you know, coming up and cheering. uh, Because I believe they also do the whole, like, you know, stand up to cancer at the All-Star Games. Well, that would be a really important and and big moment. And I want that to happen. Um, But I also want Jared Walsh to be there because I like Jared Walsh very much. So I know I'm 110% certain that the Commissioner of Baseball definitely listens to our podcast. No further questions on that. And I I hope you liked our idea. So we'll take a quick break. And uh, David and I will come back and highlight some under-the-radar guys you should know.
1: This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you, based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's goforward.com, goforward.com.
2: Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Each week, we like to look at maybe an under-the-radar guy that you know deserves a little more love. Um, so Matt and I usually do that. David is joining us this week, and he's got his own guy. I'm going to start with mine here, and uh, it was Steven Duggar, who is an outfielder for the Giants. And... You think about what the giants have done over the last couple of years they have found guys and you know made, made them better or underappreciated guys that you know didn't get a chance so like mike stremsky donovan solano alex dickerson a bunch of pitchers like this is the thing that they've been really good at you know lamonte wade is one of those guys now and and digger has a different path because he was drafted by the previous regime here he was a sixth rounder in 2015 at a clemson he made it to the bigs in 2018 it was like, okay, slightly below average at the plate, but like really fast, a good outfielder until he tore his left shoulder in August. In 2019, he was the opening day center fielder. And I think, I'm not a Giants fan, but I think if you were to ask Giants fans, like what was the low point of this rebuild? I think it was the opening day outfield on 2019, in 2019. Duggar was playing center field. Left field was Connor Joe, who got DFA'd after 16 plate appearances. And he's now in AAA for the Rockies. Right field was Michael Reed, who got DFA'd after eight plate appearances. He's now out of baseball. That is the most doomed opening day outfield I think I've ever heard. And Duggar stuck around, but he was bad. 64 OPS plus, missed time with a back injury. His season ended making a really nice diving catch where he re-injured the left shoulder. Last year, he barely played at all. He was the forgotten man. You know, Yastrzemski, Dickerson, Dubon, they had Hunter Pence kicking around. He got 34 plate appearances. And this year didn't even make the opening day roster because they had Yastrzemski and Slater and Dickerson and Dubon, and they traded for Mike Talkman came up for two days in mid-April and was sent back down, didn't even get called up again for good until April 30th. And look what he's done since then. He has become the everyday center fielder for a first place team. He's hitting 316, it's got a 163 OPS+, one of my favorite StatCast tools, is you can look at um like run value against pitch type, right? Like which combination of player and pitch type has the best or worst outcomes. So, like the number one combination in baseball right now is that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is just murdering four seamers, destroying them, right? Number two is Giancarlo Stanton against four-seamer, three Otani, four Chris Taylor. Number five, Steven Duggar against the four-seamers. He's got a 453 batting average. He's playing good defense. Now, wildly overperforming. <laughs> you Look at the underlying metrics. What he's doing now is not sustainable, but you look at this, like this path that the giants have taken. And yeah, some of it's like, Oh wow. You, you Buster Posey came back to life. Um, but some of it is just these guys coming out of nowhere, whether it's other teams, whether it's their own farm system and providing value and, and making the whole team better. And that's Steven Duggar. Cause I had totally forgotten he existed like three months ago. And now he's playing center field every day. For a really good team David who do you have
0: uh, I have Tony Kemp uh who has just been red hot with the A's you know kind of he's a pretty versatile guy he's been playing second base you know since jed Lowry's cooled off he's been playing uh, the outfield since they've been missing Mark kenya and uh, Stephen piscotti and has has just been hitting really well uh I mean first of all what uh jumps out about him is you know this guy's five foot six hundred sixty pounds you know he's one of the smallest players in baseball. And it's always great when, you know, the little guys, you know, hit like big guys and, uh, he's kind of, you know, got a really interesting stat line when you look at him. Uh, first of all, you know, until this year, he basically didn't hit at all. He had an 89 weighted runs created plus. So 10% below, you know, league average and has 138 weighted runs created plus this season. So he's just, you know, gone from like a light hitter to just a slugger somehow. Um, he, but what I like is his uh, his plate discipline. He's walking more than he's striking out. Uh, Thirty one walks, twenty eight strikeouts. Uh, so th- he has one of the best walk to strikeout ratios in all of baseball, uh, behind Yuli U- Gurriel, who, a very notoriously disciplined hitter. So I think that's like a really st- that's like what I, what I noticed first about him when I was looking for a guy who you should know is this 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 guy is just you know. Drawing all these walks and also not striking out, like a lot of the time, you know, like you think of like a David Fletcher, a contact guy, uh, who doesn't strike out a lot, but also doesn't walk a lot. He's just putting everything in play. But Tony Kemp is is walking a lot. He, you know, he's like 98th percentile in the league in walk rate and 90th percentile in the league in strikeout rate, like in a, in a good way. So his percentiles to me, they're are, they're pretty funny because you know he is small and he he doesn't hit the ball hard like at all. He has literally zero barrels all year, Zero. Zero. <laughs> zero barrels. Yeah. He does have a few home runs, but he has no barrels. He has a really low hard hit rate. He has one of the lowest average exit velocities in all of baseball, but these walks and strikeouts are really like boosting his stat line. And also he's getting a lot of hits. It's so, like he's, yeah, 90th percentile walk rate, 90th percentile strikeout rate, first percentile exit velocity. And of course, zeroth percentile barrel rate with zero barrels. It's just such a funny combination of stats, but so like, I mean, he, he's, he's been really fun to watch too, though. Like he, he kind of does it all like he like makes diving catches, you know, he's like throwing out base runners. He like, he's, he's a good guy to watch on the A's and the A's are a fun team to watch too. So you know, I I kind of like him and I really respect his plate discipline.
2: When I saw that you were going to talk about Tony Kemp, I uh, looked them up a little bit and I found this article from uh, I guess maybe or like a month ago or so from the San Francisco Chronicle, where they talked to Tony Camp about his good year, and uh, he said it, in this spring he decided to like actively try to increase his exit velocity. Like he tried to swing harder and he tried a, a two-hand follow-through, and he said I wasn't happy with it because I was swinging and missing so much more. Which like it you know it makes sense. Like power and strikeouts are in a lot of ways correlated and so this is a quote from tony Kemp. he's like i figured yeah i can hit the ball harder but my contact in the zone is what makes me who i am so i decided to switch gears and the swinging hard and x velocity i put that on the shelf and said you need to be yourself whatever the strengths you are that got you to the big leagues and help you stay you need to work on and i kind of like that because for years like you know when people started talking about the launch angle revolution or whatever and it's like not really what people think it is they're like well yeah, that doesn't work for everybody. You wouldn't want Billy Hamilton to try to hit the ball in the air, right? And I'm like, yeah, no, I wouldn't. Like, I, I don't want right. that. That's that's a bad idea. He shouldn't do that. <laughs> like, nothing is one size fits all. You should know who you are. And, uh, and Tony Kemp does know that. I think that's cool. I think that's, that's cool that he has... Is- uh, having a good year and, uh, baseball side, he just, from what little I know about him, seems like a, just a tremendously good dude, you know? So yeah. it's always nice to see those kind. Yeah. Of it's good. He's, he's living up. He's
0: living up to his own words about, you know, he, he is staying true to who he is. All, all those things that he said about himself are exactly why he's written good this year.
2: So uh, yeah. we close the show, Matt and I usually do our purpose pitch. We pick something to rant about. And, um, David, we don't usually talk about college baseball much. But I, I know you have some deep thoughts about uh, NC State and Vanderbilt. I, and I don't actually follow college baseball that much myself. So I am our, our like, document here with notes, it's literally all it says. So I don't actually know what you're about to say. And I'm deeply interested in finding out.
0: Well, I, I'm, I'm glad you're so interested. I mean, basically, what I want to say is that I just wish we got to see the game three between NC State and Vanderbilt in the College World Series semifinals. Uh, you know, they weren't allowed to play because NC State had uh, its COVID outbreak. Um, they, like, they couldn't play the winner take all game three. I would have really loved to see it. I, and like, it's just like, I know there's only so much you can do, but like, it's just, a, it's a, it's a shame. Like you, you want like the college road series has been real. I mean, it j- just ended. It was really, really fun to watch. Uh, especially, you know, like now that you get like, I mean, shout out to pitching ninja who, who I does just great stuff. You know, he's been like doing all these college clips of all these college pitchers and you see how good they are. So. Like, it was just a sh- shame we didn't get this, you know, see one of the biggest games of the year get played. I mean, I went to UNC, so like NC State was a big baseball rival of theirs when when I was covering the baseball team. Uh, so I got a lot of respect for that program. You know, like when I was there, uh, Trey Turner was there, uh, you know, basically, the, you know, just hit, got hits on everything. And was also the fastest person I had ever seen in real life. Uh, and Carlos Rodon was the ace. And Carlos Rodon had like the most unhittable slider that I had ever seen in real life. And uh, I I I like NC State baseball even though they were UNC's rivals and and I just wish we had gotten to see it. I mean, at least we did get to see a little more Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter, uh in the in the College World Series finals. Um, but but you know you you just want to see those games played because those games are really exciting and and a lot of fun to watch.
2: You know who would have really liked to talk about North Carolina-based amateur baseball with you, uh, Matt Myers. <laughs> <laughs> who oh, yeah. who used to live in North Carolina or, or work there. And, and, you know, I think for baseball America, and this is totally out of my wheelhouse, but he, he probably would have had like a 35 minute conversation with you um, just about that. But from what, from what little I was following. Yeah. Like um, it's a huge bummer for these players who I think had, I don't know, disappointingly low vaccination rates and didn't get to play this game. All right. But that's a good one. I I'm going to finish up with something, about Shohei Otani. And this is generally like a warmed over argument that baseball people have had for like decades. And so it's generally kind of boring to me. But now I'm seeing it coming up again in the context of Shohei Otani's like historically unbelievable season. And I feel like it's worth addressing. When we're talking about potential American League MVP winners, and I get it, it's July 1st, there's lots of the season left. It, it seems to me the two front runners right now are Shohei Otani and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And you could argue, you know, JD Martinez and uh, Xander Bogarts and, you know, a couple other guys, but, you know, it's Vladdy and it's Otani. And so um, I am writing this giant Otani piece that'll go up next week, and I'm excited to see the comments because it'll probably be like this because I saw someone else write an Otani article and say, well, he's likely the MVP. And the comments were all, yeah, but the team is bad. And I'm like, I know the team is bad, but he's, who cares? Why are we still doing this? Like, this guy is having not just a good season, not just a great season, an unbelievably historic season. No one, not even Babe Ruth, has done what he's doing. And I know the Angels stink because they always stink. They've had Mike Trout and they stink. There's literally nothing one player can do to make a team nope. stink less. And listen, are the Blue Jays a better team? Yes, they are. The Blue Jays are in third place right now. They're seven and a half games out. I at least understand the argument of best player on the best team. I don't agree with it, but I I, I understand it. <laughs> Vladdy's the best player on a third place team. <laughs> it's four games over 500. What are we doing here? You cannot argue this against Otani and not count it against Vlad Jr. The whole thing is irrelevant and pointless anyway. Like I, I don't know how you could possibly be more valuable than Shohei Otani if he's made... Anything that has uh, minimized his value, maybe it was picking the angels in the first place. But I don't think there's anything else we could do. That's our show this week. David, thank you for joining us. Thank you for filling in for Matt. I hope you enjoyed your time on our podcast. That'll do it for this week's show. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. See you next week.
3: Go to getroman.com/mlb today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's getroman.com/mlb. getroman.com/mlb